Welcome to another segment of Rising Stars of Turf, presented by Earthworks and Dryject. Our victim today is Rob Monroe, Assistant Superintendent at Cabot Cliffs in Inverness, Nova Scotia, currently rated the number one golf course in Canada. Welcome, Rob. Yeah, thanks for having me, Peter. I'm happy to be here. Well, you and I have not crossed paths before, and your uh, participation here comes at the uh, suggestion of Lee Strutt. Yes, yes. I contact who is your director of agronomy now, I guess. I contacted Lee uh, out of courtesy because I I originally wanted to talk to uh, Jason Haynes, which I did yesterday. And um, he said, and I will quote, I don't want to blow your head apart right from the start, but uh, he says, I consider the rising star at Cabot to be Rob Monroe who was named to the uh, FTMI class of 2022. That's the big uh, future turf managers initiative, correct? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Says he has a lot of great energy and will be a leading super in the future for all the right reasons. Oh, those are big. Those are big words for sure. Uh, (laughs) I get along great. It's awesome working for him. He's, he supports everyone here and it's, it's great to have someone with that kind of experience here. And working sure. with him now you're a native of british columbia uh yes, yes and so you actually followed much of the same path there but uh before jason haynes did i guess he followed you um <laughs> and you went to olds college in alberta yeah that's right how about you how'd you get into the industry yeah so it's it's Kind of a funny story where uh, my dad was a superintendent uh, uh, in Ontario, and then we moved out west from Ontario when I was about four years old because um, he was building a golf course uh, in Duncan, British Columbia, on Vancouver Island. There, um, so I, I obviously knew he was exposed to the industry that way and knew it was a thing, but I had no interest in golf as a kid, none whatsoever. He tried to put me in golf camps and all of that. And I had no part of it um, until I was about 14, 14 years old. And he said, it's time to get a summer job, Robbie. It's time to get, time to get, get your button gear. Get uh, serious. And I, I, he was pretty serious. And I was like, well, what do you mean? I'm 14. No way. Like none of my friends have summer jobs. Uh, and he was like, well, you're getting one. And I said, no, I'm not. We argued for five minutes and he said, well, that's too bad. You start at five 30 tomorrow at Arbutus Ridge golf course. Uh, and I, I got there and, and I ended up loving it. I had a great first day. I had a great first season. Uh, and then really it was all in the books from there. And where was that? And that was at Arbutus Ridge golf course. So that's in Cobble Hill, kind of 45 minutes North of Victoria. Okay. Yeah. So you cut your teeth there and then you went on to intern at Capilano. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So. Um, I guess I did three years at Arbutus Ridge and in the off seasons, I, I worked at a restaurant in, in Duncan there in town. Um, and I really disliked it. Honestly, I, uh, I was not a fan of working in the restaurants, uh, and I couldn't help but thinking how much I, I loved working on the golf course. And I was like, well, if I, if I'm going to love work here, I may as well just do it forever. Like my dad did it. I, it it's an option. 
Um, and he was friends already with Jason Pick at Olds College. Um, so he kind of started the ball in motion and, and was like, hey, like if you want to pursue this as a career, like it's about time you start choosing your college courses anyway. So uh, we went from there and I did my first year at, at Olds College. And then I went back to Arbutus Ridge for a fourth season. Uh, and then when I went back for my second year at Olds, um, I heard that Capilano was offering an, an internship. And again, at the advice of my dad, he was like, he had, he had mentioned a, a whole bunch of people he had known that had worked at Capilano in the past and, and where they were now and said, Hey, like this could be a really great opportunity for you. Um, and I went and being the club that it is, uh, high ranked. And when you talk about a well-oiled machine, uh, for a turf crew, Capilano is, they know what they're doing over there. So, uh, to go to that and to be a part of that whole system there, um, and also being at Arbutus Ridge and being able to compare and contrast between um, semi-private uh, public kind of feel uh, compared to the fully private and very, very prestigious um, country club feel uh, was really cool. It was really cool, especially when I was 19. I think that was, that was young to do that. And, and, it, and it totally shaped the way I think about the golf course, even here. So uh, Olds College was a two-year program. Uh, so it was it was a four-year program, um, with the first two being a diploma, um, and then the third and fourth being for a degree, uh, bachelor of applied science. Degree. Okay. Yeah. So uh, at Capilano, you worked under uh, Stu Sheridan. Yes, I did. Yes, yeah, Stu and uh, Stu Sheridan and Nick Daly was the assistant there. Uh, both great guys. And that springboarded you to be able to uh, throw your hat in the ring at Cabot. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. It was, uh, yeah, it's, it's funny how it all goes full circle where, um, again, I guess the springboard you could say was uh, the the cost of living in Vancouver is, is pretty crazy about now. And uh, as a, as I, I guess I was 21 at that point um, and 21 and with, with the rent being what it was and the car insurance being what it was, it was, it was getting to the point where I was kind of like, well, I should start thinking about uh, making a move. And, and also the big city life, uh, it wasn't, it was new to me. Uh, and I was, I was kind of, I don't know how you say, I, I guess the city wasn't, wasn't really my, my thing. Uh, I loved work uh, for sure. I loved being at Capilano every day, um, but otherwise the, tra the traffic drove me crazy. So there's certain things where I was in Vancouver where I was like, okay, well, maybe it's not quite for me. Um, and I wanted to go to Revelstoke actually, because I'd heard about Cabot Revelstoke. Um, so I'd called some people, um, called some people around that I knew. Um, and eventually uh, I got the rumor that Brad Allen was going to be the superintendent at Cabot Revelstoke down the line. So I, I looked him up on Twitter and uh, he tweeted that that day that he was looking for a second assistant at Cabot Cliffs. And I was like, well, that would be kind of cool. And my, my roommate, uh, Denver Hart, who's one of the superintendents down at, uh, at PGA West now, um, he, he said, well, hey, like, 
I've been out to Cabot. It's a really cool living situation. It's an awesome golf course. And as a second assistant, like you may as well throw your name in the hat. Um, it was peak COVID at the time. So I kind of thought, well, Hey, like maybe now's the time to make a move. Not many people are moving. So you never know, maybe I'll get a, a stab at it. And I, I talked to Jason Zeibel and I, and, uh, Brad Allen and, I got the job and drove coast to coast in my 2006 Pontiac pursuit. Uh, it managed to drag it across the country one way or another um, in full COVID, which was an experience in itself. Uh, and it brought me out here and uh, to, to a little town in Inverness, which is the opposite of Vancouver in a lot of ways um, in a lot of nice refreshing ways. And yeah. And that, that's how I kind of came out to the East coast. Were you able to penetrate the uh, the Atlantic bubble or whatever the heck they called it uh, at oh, the man. peak of, at the peak of COVID? Oh man, it was it was something. I had to I had to apply to enter the Atlantic bubble um, when I left BC, so a month before or two weeks before, I guess. And I had to enter on that exact date, so I, I drove across the country and stayed with some friends that I had from college and checked out a lot of cool golf courses on the way, actually, and then. Uh, but by the time I got to Quebec, like I ended up at Quebec City and I was like, man, I have five days until I'm supposed to enter Nova Scotia. Like I have to just find a way to kill this time. So I explored a lot of Montreal. I explored a lot of Quebec City. Obviously, I couldn't do anything because everything was closed. But uh, I walked around, explored cities, which I really like doing. Um, and then when I entered New Brunswick, I had to go straight to my quarantine place, which was brad allen's parents house which they were away for two weeks or something like that uh, and i got there to quarantine for two weeks because you had to do that when you enter the atlantic bubble it was a two-week quarantine period uh and it was in pugwash nova scotia and i got there and i called them and asked for the wi-fi password and they're like oh no there's no wi-fi there <laughs> and obviously i'm 21 so i was like oh oh man like how am i gonna live here for two weeks uh, stuck in, but they had uh, cable TVs better than I remember anyway. So it was like, it was a good time. And, and I was at work in no, in no time at all. It felt like. Yeah. For those who are not familiar, the Atlantic bubble was a uh, COVID uh, thing where the, uh, the maritime provinces of um, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, Prince Edward Island, and I guess Newfoundland Labrador were uh, allowed to travel amongst one another, but um, it was difficult going out of that. I, I have a, a cottage in Southern uh, New Brunswick and we, uh, we couldn't get there that year because the border was closed to yeah. Americans anyway. So you wind up in, in uh, Nova Scotia at a club that's, um, wall-to-wall fescue after having cut your teeth on POA. How was that transition for you? Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's funny that I would say like, even in turf school, we didn't talk about fine fescue once in four years. We didn't talk about it once. And I didn't think about it once, to be honest. Um, like I remember hearing that fescue greens existed in the UK and I kind of thought, Oh, well, that's kind of crazy. I, I don't know. I never really thought anything of it until I was coming out here and I was like, Oh man, like 
I wonder how, how you even manage that. And when you look it up, like compared to the literature on bent grass or poa management or any of the warm season grasses, like there's very little to read about with, with fescue really comparatively. Um, uh, so I, I had my ideas about what it would be like, low inputs and whatnot, um, especially again, compared to POA out West, um, which I had always been on. And to be fair, when I, when I left BC, I, a lot of, that was a big draw for me was to work on something else other than POA, whether it was bent or, or fescue or whatever, just to, just to change it up. Um, and, and to come out here and to see the difference, it, it really is night and day. And even, even just going from managing fescue to trying to get rid of, or sorry, from managing POA to trying to get rid of POA uh, is just turning your thinking upside down and inside out and all that. So uh, it's been really cool. And there's a, a lot of quirks with it and uh, a lot of, I guess, pros and cons with anything, I suppose you could say. Yeah, well, you mentioned the... the um uh preponderance of fescue over in the UK i think if you if you look back at north america and the european continent at some juncture i think they also or they split apart so uh, yeah. nova scotia is probably not a heck of a lot removed climate wise from scotland well it's funny we went to um Another great thing, I guess, Lee Strutt does is, and I, and I guess to be fair, he, he came from the UK and he was trying to explain all this stuff to us uh, about the things that he knows and his experience. Um, and it's funny, we talk about it. There's, there, there's a bit of a language barrier where sometimes he says things and Jason and I have no idea what he's talking about. Uh, just in, in the colloquialisms that he'll use um, and whatnot. So he actually took us all to Scotland uh, to really? do this course tour and meet all the superintendents and to, to see what they do uh, to kind of see how we can translate it over here. I mean, we're trying to provide uh, a links feel uh, out here in Canada. And, and if you've never seen it, it's, it's kind of hard to replicate when you've only seen pictures. So uh, we went out there and it is amazing. Uh, Cape Breton compared to Scotland if you didn't know where you were, sometimes you would think you were in Scotland out here. Um, just looking at the scenery or like, I think the first day when we came back from Scotland, I went right to Inverness beach and it's, it's extremely similar, a little colder, I guess. I would imagine. Yes. So uh, compared to your prior experience, what has surprised you perhaps about the, the turf management strategies at Cabot? I guess when you think of fescue, you think low input. Um, and, and to be honest, like sure, maybe per square foot, the input is way lower, you're using way less water and whatnot. Um, and overall less fertilizer. Um, but the area is so massively huge, like the greens are eight acres, it's 88 acres of fairways. Um, like it takes four fairway mowers two days to mow the fairways. So like just in, in general, it's like, it's low input, but when you times it by a hot by 15, it sure doesn't feel very low input. Like you're still, you're still grinding out there to get what you need done. It's no easy feat. Um, 
Fescue doesn't spread laterally. So if you leave a divot unfilled, it will never, ever, ever grow in with anything but poa or weeds um, mm. unless you fill it with fescue seeds. So we're, the divot mix is, is flowing for sure out there and we're constantly overseeding and doing all this stuff to kind of keep it fescue um, over time. And on a golf course that's so busy, uh, constantly toe to toe from morning to night, uh, to night golf on the nest. Like it's constant tea times and constant divots to fill. And, um, and I, and I guess another difference is just the difference between the link style of maintenance compared to what we were doing at Capilano, where at Capilano it was like fine manicured everything. Uh, whereas here, some like the bunker faces will crumble in and that's the look like it looks, it looks windswept. It looks rough. Uh, it looks rugged and it looks natural, which is, but it's also, you're trying to find that balance and that line between them uh, and where that is sometimes gets blurred. But as you start to get into it and you've been here a little longer, you start to kind of adjust to that and, and know what is, what looks the way it should and what looks natural and what is maybe like, okay, well, we need to spruce that up a bit. Uh, it's a very different mindset than the Parkland country club feel. Um, but in, in a, in a really cool, unique way, I guess I could say. Having been to uh, Ireland several times, uh, but not being a golfer myself, um, I was pretty good at hoisting the uh, Guinness back in the day. But in any case, um, it occurred to me then I walked just about every course that we visited. And it occurred to me, um, both having viewed the golf courses, but also talked to a lot of the caddies and the, and the golfers there, that um, it, should, it should be a uh, prerequisite for any green committee member in North America to go play some golf in the UK and Ireland. Mm -hmm. And you see that, you know, these are living, breathing surfaces. It's not AstroTurf. Um, a little bit of uh, a little blemish here or there is is absolutely fine. Which, yes. You know. Yes, yes. Well, it's it's uh, I would say one of our big challenges is that our, a lot of our clientele come from Florida or somewhere like that, where they're coming from the most pristine of pristine country clubs mm -hmm. and they're putting on. Bermuda grass that rolls 13 and a half on a daily basis. And, and then they come up here and if, and if it's where we want it, it's, it's brown, it's firm. Uh, and on a good day where we aim for, like we want the greens to roll like nine, six kind of 10 foot kind of thing. Um, and just cause they're so undulating and on a windy day, uh, nine foot feels awful quick, uh, when it's real windy out there for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's Lynx golf. Like you, you think about where the green speed is for like the open uh, in the UK and it's certainly not rolling 13. Um, right. So, so a lot of people that will come up here and not understand that uh, and they'll be like, well, why is the golf course dead? A real question. They'll ask, why is the golf course really? dead? And it's like, well, it's not dead. This is, we, we got it right where we want it. It, it looks, it's, it's hard. It's like a solid firm surface and your 250 yard drive runs out to 375 yards. It's awesome. You got to play the contours. It's a, 
it's a different game really like going out to play is certainly not like playing uh anywhere else uh there's not many places in north america where you can play true links golf and uh it's pretty do they cool get it do they get it after uh a few rounds do they understand what you're doing i think i think most do i think most do i mean they they take caddies and the caddies get it the caddies all play golf here and and i mean i i would say there's probably a, a handful maybe five per, five ten percent of people that that just don't don't get it not um, for them but i but i think it's just not for them but i i mean once you the first round is really tricky because you if the pin's 100 yards away and they play at 100 yards you're off the green every single time um especially if there's wins. So once they kind of figure that you got to play it shorter and play the contours and, and run the ball up and, and maybe putt from 20 feet away uh, off the green, um, once they start to get that, I think they really appreciate it, that it's a different game, um, but a really cool game. It's the original game um, sure. that in North America, I, I think a lot of us have forgotten or at least just haven't had the opportunity to be exposed to. Uh, which is really cool and unique to be out here for sure. How's your um, staffing situation, recruitment and all that kind of thing? I see that you um, hosted a first green thing for the kids, correct? Yeah, yeah, we did. We did. Um, I mean, I, I would assume when you talk to other superintendents and assistants and whatnot, I, I assume when you ask that question, you get a lot of the same answer where it is really difficult um, right now in general uh, across the board. It's hard for everyone. Um, I, I think out here, the unique situation that we're in is that um, there's not many people in Inverness, really. Uh, there's 1500 people here. It's hard to get to the nearest airports four hours away. Um uh, the staff accommodation um, is growing, um, but this is the first year where we've had a real, a real serious demand for everything. Like the traffic we're getting here from guests is way more than anything we've ever experienced. So, and it's really Cabot Links opened in 2011, so it's really the whole resort is in its infancy. If you think about it, uh, it's very new, um, and we're and we're catching up to a lot of this stuff, but it staffing is really hard to come by. Like I said, there's not many people out here. Um, and when you compare it to, to caddying, like the caddies make real good money out there. They make real big tips uh, and it's hard to compete with. So a lot, a lot of good uh, potential candidates, I guess, uh, are drawn to caddying and I, and fair enough, it's a great job and you get to play golf and all that. Um, but I think it comes down to what we're doing and how we can promote ourselves and how we can grow our own staff that are here. Uh, the, the good thing we have going for us is we have a lot of core staff that have been here uh, since the beginning. Uh, a lot of the guys, local guys that, have, that built the golf course are still here and they know all the tasks we do really well. Um, so when we bring in new people, um, we have a good core group of guys to kind of lead those new people into it and, and teach them how we do things uh, around here. But I, I think the staffing situation, as we really focus on it, which we have been, uh, one of Lee's big focuses is staffing, um, and rightfully so. 
and I think we're growing and getting better every year. So um, what, while it's difficult as it is, I, I think we're on, we're on the upswing and, and we're only going to get better for sure. That was one of the challenges that, that I be, or was aware of was just the size of the town there. I think you've probably so, you've, it's so you've small. Probably doubled the size of the, with the Cabot people, you probably doubled the size of the town, I would think. Easily, easily. It's pretty small in the winter. When, once the course closes, it's uh, it's pretty quiet. A lot of the restaurants close uh, for the yeah. winter. We go from like five restaurants in town to two. Uh, and even on Saturday night, uh, the Wits Pub in town, which is the main bar in town, I guess, you go in at nine on Saturday night and you might, you, you and your friend might be the only ones there um, in the winter. But uh, they're putting, they're but putting the chairs up on the tables at that point, right? Yeah, that, that's right. Uh, but uh, the men's league hockey is good. And uh, there's always something to do if you're looking for it, I guess. Are you a player? Yeah, I try. I try. You own a pair of skates anyway, right? Yeah, that's right. I was back in the day, uh, you know, back yeah. in the 60s when that was uh, real hockey. It was almost sport. a cult. It was almost a cult sport. Yeah, yeah. I grew up in New Jersey and there was only one high school team in the entire state back okay. then. Okay. Yeah. So I, I guess, especially down south below the border, it would be a cult sport for sure. Yeah, we had a lot of fun with the golf course hockey challenge, which you probably heard about. I have in the Niagara area. Yeah, we Turfnet took a team there for 22 years, I think. That's a great initiative. I love the idea of that. Like, uh, all the superintendents come together in in Alberta. They do that really well. They have a, a golf course tournament uh, with all the courses in the area, and they do really well. And I mean, in Alberta. Uh, hockey is basically a religion and the prairies in general i think i think every single person i ever met in the prairies plays hockey so well the thing about the hockey challenge in niagara that was cool um well it's not well it's it's uh superintendents assistants and suppliers but i always used to say that you know everybody's got three common threads they play hockey they work in golf and they drink beer and not (laughs) not necessarily in that order (laughs) That's right. uh, what's next for you? My big thing is, uh, so this winter, I, my goal is to travel. Um, I, I think there's a real benefit, especially in our industry where it's so based on location and uh, the biodiversity in your specific region, same as this Vancouver Island is very different than Cape Breton Island. Yeah. Um, I think traveling is really important and something everyone should try and do. So this winter I'm, I'm going to go, uh, go to New Zealand and just work on a, on a golf course out there. And then as, as spring comes around, uh, we'll see where that leads me. But, uh, I think, I I think traveling is really important. So I I'd love to travel. Um, and then when I come back to Canada, uh, maybe keep, keep working out here and, uh, see, see where we go. I mean, it's a continuing journey, right? Like you, you never know where it's going to take you. So, um, how long has Cliffs been years. open? Cliffs has been open since 2016. And you've been there, you said this is your third season. Yeah, that's right. So what what advice would you have to, uh, you know, your peers or others up and coming or, or thinking about getting into the industry? There's a few things that are really important. I think first and foremost, um, 
it's really important to be yourself. And as cliche as that sounds, and it totally is cliche, um, but it's really easy to get caught up in being not yourself, especially once you get into management and you start to be uh, this commander uh, dictator thing. Cause you are, you're calling the shots a lot of times and, and it's easy to get caught up in it sometimes or, or become really real stern or someone that you're not. Um, and I think at the end of the day, uh, you got to let your personality shine through. I think that that's the difference between uh, some of the best leaders I've ever worked with. Uh, they're, they're not afraid to joke around with you and have some fun, but at the same time, uh, when it's time to be serious, they can, they can make that transition. The big thing for anyone from a learning perspective is to just ask questions constantly, constantly. I know the biggest thing I learned in Olds College was how to ask questions uh, and the right questions. Um, and that's how the whole program was based. It was all based on having the right conversations and, and where to go with them and how to, how to learn more than anything. So anyone that wants to really learn should develop their question asking skills for sure. Cause there's a lot of great knowledge in the turf industry. Uh, and a lot of people are either too afraid to ask the questions or they don't know what questions to ask. Yeah. As I've sort of, um, uh, monitored and managed the, the TurfNet forum over the last 30 years, I've intentionally made myself look stupid by, <laughs> by asking questions that um, I legitimately wanted to know the answer and didn't know the answer. But I'm sure that I was sure that there would be dozens of other guys out there thinking the same thing, but didn't Absolutely. necessarily have the courage to raise their hand or they didn't want to, they didn't want to embarrass themselves publicly or whatever. Well, it takes courage, but, and it, and it feels like you might embarrass yourself, but at the end of the day, like, no, no one cares. Everyone learns from it. Uh, they have the answer. You walk away and you walk away on top at the end of the day, right? Like you come out with the knowledge you came to, came to learn. And that's super important. I think. How about the value of mistakes? Uh, both as somebody who's learning and how you would handle that as a manager. I'll tell you a story about uh, a mistake I made on the golf course. Um, it was my first season back from college at Arbutus Ridge. Um, and the first thing I told the superintendent was, I, I need to get on a sprayer. I need to learn how to spray. Instead, the first guy ever. So the first guy ever, absolutely. And when I think about it now as a manager, like I'm like, oh my God, how did he let me on a sprayer? Uh, anyway, I got on the sprayer. He taught me how to spray fairways. And I think I sprayed fairways once or twice before he got me on the greens. Um, and he was uh, superintendent, no assistant that year. So I think part of it was he was desperate for someone to help him with the spraying. He was getting married that summer. So he went away on his honeymoon uh, and he said, Rob, uh, I need you to spray the greens on July 20th or whatever it was. Um, and this is what you're going to spray. This is the sheet. And I was like, okay, cool. I, I think I can do that. I was super intimidated by it, but I didn't let that on. So July 20th came around and I got on the sprayer and put everything that was on that list in the tank. Um, and I went and sprayed the greens and golf was really on my tail, uh, that day. Um, I should add, it was like three days before the club championship. Um, Oops. Anyway, I, uh, it, golf was really on me. The foamer wasn't working very well. Um, and, and I did my pass and turned around and I was like, man, like 
I don't really know where I've been on the screen. The golf is on the fairway right there. I better just do the next pass. So I did the next pass and whatever. Um, uh, and there was no chemical in the tank. It was all fertilizer. So I figured, I was like, oh, well, nothing bad's going to happen, right? Uh, so I did, did my thing, uh, finished the greens, whatever. Um, and one of the older guys who was kind of leading the crew while uh, the superintendent was away uh, came to me later and he was like, Rob, you better go out to 11 green and have a look at it. And this was like three hours after I sprayed it. I was like, what? Like, no way. Um, so I went out there and it was like racing stripes, dark green, light green. And I was so freaked out by it. I was like, oh my God, like, what am I going to tell the superintendent when he comes back? Uh, and it looked like that for a while. And it turned out there was a lot of iron in the tank is what it was. Um, and that's how I learned what iron does to grass uh, was by definitely double spraying it and then missing and then double spraying because I was in a rush and I wasn't taking my time. Uh, but for one, I learned on a sprayer, you, you can't just, just wing it. Like you, you yeah. got to know what you're doing for sure uh, all the time and be really cautious. And like I said, it was right before the club championship. And when the superintendent came back, uh, to be honest, he didn't even talk to me about it. He, he knew I knew uh, what had happened. And then I, I think we talked about it like a month later. And he was like, well, do you know what iron does to turf now? And I was like, I sure do. And I never forgot it. And at the end of the day, it was funny. The head pro came out to look at it because the superintendent wanted to talk to him before the club championship. And he thought they were just mowing stripes. He, he didn't even know what he was looking at. So uh, also a lesson that, that sometimes uh, the things that you think are a really big deal, um, maybe, maybe not everyone can uh, thinks it's as big deal, as big a deal as you might. Uh, I was wondering so whether I, you yeah. got the handgun out to go out, maybe touch up those lighter areas. <laughs> yeah, that, that's right. Anyway, it was, it was a whole thing. And as a, as a kid, I was really freaked out by it. But uh, at the end of the day, I mean, I didn't kill anything. So uh, that's a win, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, a good lesson to learn for sure. Sun comes up tomorrow. Yep, that's right. One thing I wanted to ask you about is the uh, being a part of the, uh, the management staff at uh, Cabot. Uh, one thing Jason Haynes mentioned that he found to be um, extremely valuable and exciting was to have other guys of um, such quality to, you know, to be able to sit face to face and and pick their brains and bounce ideas and all that kind of stuff. You know, having come from almost a single person management thing when when he was at uh, Pender Harbor. How's that been for you? Yeah, I mean, it's been great, especially as someone with uh, less experience than all those guys. It's like, if I have a question, like there's three other, four other people in that room that can help me out with it, um, for sure. Here, is, there's two golf courses. Uh, what's happening at the Cliffs isn't necessarily what's happening at the Links. What Jason's doing at the Links with... Uh, with the clipping volume um, and the growth forecasting is totally different than what we're doing up here. So to see him do that down there and then to compare it to what we're doing up here uh, is really cool. Really cool. It's the same kind of grass, um, both fescue, uh, different construction. So I guess that's a difference, but uh, really you can. How you can far apart are the two courses? 
like two miles, not very far, not very far at all. Are you on a uh, dune sand base? So uh, three of our greens are completely dune sand. All the way down, you could dig forever and it's dune sand, um, which is a challenge in itself. But the other ones are uh, like are capped, sand capped. Um, where down on the links, none of them are sand capped. They're just push up. So um, very different. But uh, also just how they're managing it is so different than what we're doing up here. Uh, and to see it is just unique. And I, I certainly appreciate a lot of what he's doing and uh, down there. And for someone that's never seen it, like, like that's so different than what a lot of people are doing. Uh, I think the industry is going that way in a lot of ways uh, with the data you can collect from it and the benefits you see from it. Uh, and, and I mean, Jason has helped to write, write the book on that whole thing. He's a very integral piece of that. Um, so to see it on fescue, uh, is interesting. Well, the key with uh, collecting data and having data at your disposal is doing something with it. And Jason is making all his turf decisions based on that on those numbers that he's collecting. So he's certainly doing what it's meant to be used for, uh, which I think is really cool. Okay, let's slam the lid on this uh, episode of Rising Stars of Turf presented by Earthworks and Dryject. Uh, Rob, we're going to send you a box of swag. So once we get over with this, I, ne I need your postal address. But uh, that's on behalf of us and uh, Earthworks and uh, Dryject. Continued good fortune to you. Stay in touch. Uh, let us know where you are. Have fun in New Zealand. That's one place in the world I might consider going to. I pretty much stop yeah. <laughs> traveling whatsoever, but that's one place I would consider going. Yep. Their summer is our winter, so it works out perfect. There you go. So thanks very much for your participation in this. And again, continued good fortune uh, and best of luck. Awesome. Thanks so much, Peter. You bet. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.